Well, good uh, morning and welcome. Uh, Charlie Hold again. If I haven't met you yet, I'm looking forward to it over, over time and uh, glad to be here. So um, next week, y'all are going to be looking at a lot of the stories that have to do with the kings is my understanding. And I have a little printout of what you're, what you're looking at. Um, it's going to start with uh, the calling of Samuel and then uh, King Saul, David and Goliath, David and Saul, King David, and then eventually getting to Solomon and the prophet Elijah and ending with the fall of Jerusalem. So you're covering a lot uh, through all of this, which is really great. Um, why don't we begin with a prayer and then uh, we'll just get into I'll just share some of my thoughts about some of these things, and I'm excited that you're doing this study. This is a great, great study to get you into the scriptures. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word, uh, an amazing story that leads us into a deeper relationship with you, and so we pray that you would give us insight as to what you're trying to say to us through this book and help us to understand how it applies to our lives and so uh, give us wisdom, um, give us inspiration, information, and ultimately the will internally to live into the pages of your scriptures and apply it to our lives to bring you praise and glory. And so we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One, one thing that I, I think is just important to understand about, especially the Old Testament, is the Old Testament is a series of covenants that God is making with his people. And there are six biblical covenants. Does anybody think they can name all six? No? Doug? <laughs> all right, well, let's just try to work our way through them. So you've got the covenant with Adam... So God, um, you know, creates humanity and he gives them the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and to steward and rule over the created order. And so uh, sometimes we call that the three R's. We're supposed to reflect God's image, to reproduce that image on the earth, and to reign as God's vice regents on this planet. So that's how it all begins. And then, of course, you have the story of the fall, which you've read, and the Lord um, gives a, the first gospel promise that, that there will be a seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, even though the head of the serpent will strike his heel. It's an incredible scene in the, um, in the Passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson did where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the serpent is all over him. There's an actual snake in the scene and Jesus stands up and the serpent strikes his heel and he stomps on the head of the serpent. It's a great moment uh, in that movie. But that's all about that first gospel. And so there you have that first covenant, the covenant with Adam. And then uh, the next one is the covenant with Noah and the flood and you know the, he puts his bow in the clouds. He's not going to destroy the earth in the same way. Covenant is a reminder to God, actually, that that I don't I'm I want to provide another means, a, a a promise to the people of this world, and and that the bow is facing 
up. I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's hung in the clouds like the war bow is pointing to God. As if somehow mysteriously God is going to bear the curse of the covenant. Um, it's going to reach its fulfillment in Christ as well. And then you have the covenant with Abraham. Starting to ring a bell? And there were the seven I will promises to Abraham. Uh, I will make a name for you. I will make you a great nation. Do you remember these things? Yeah. Uh, I will be a blessing to you, and, uh, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then the last of the seven is, I will give you this land. I think I skipped one. But, but the, the I will promises to Abraham. And then you have, what's after Abraham? Moses. Yeah. What would be after Moses? Next week's readings. <laughs> David. You know, the covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai, you read about this last week, and that wedding ceremony between God and Israel, and the, and the amazing um, moment where here they are getting married to God, and they create the golden calf. We mentioned it at the table, you know, the gold fell into the fire and out popped this cow. <laughs> amazing how that happened. But um, all of the covenants build on themselves. And when you get to the covenant with David, one of the the things that you have to bear in mind is it's a working out of the plan of salvation. And so um, some of the problems that start in the first chapters of the Bible are starting to reach their climactic ugliness, namely sin and the, the multiplication of sin in this world. And a mass flood is not going to solve the problem of sin and evil. Um, it's going to come through promise. It's going to come through God's provision, God's plan. And so the, um, the book of Judges, you read the story of the different judges and you hit some of the highlights. And there's a cycle with those judges where they, they um, do what's right in God's eyes, but then they fall and have corruption and the people fall into sin and and they get back into exile, and then he raises up another judge. Well, the end of the book of Judges ends with this line. You know, that cycle just gets worser and worser as you're going through the story. My wife was an English major. She appreciates the grammar. <laughs> but it gets worse and worse. And, and there's a line that starts to get repeated at the end of the book of Judges. And it's this line. These are the days that Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Is that an interesting little thing to think about? It gets repeated over and over again. There's, you didn't read the story, but if you want to read the most X-rated part of the Bible, and, and you, you know, I heard some of you were talking about Samson being more than G-rated, uh, the next part of the book of Judges is even worse because there's a scene there where a Levite chops up his concubine into 12 pieces and mails them to the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a line in there that says, nothing this bad has ever been done. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is just shockingly evil and horrible. And then it says, take note. Pay attention. These are the days when Israel had no king 
and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What happens when we reject the lordship of God in our life is a devolution of society and and society begins to break down and break down and break down. And we see that in our day. You know, there was, there was a time where most of the people of the United States really kind of held to a Judeo-Christian ethic. And, and they were taught in school the Bible as the most important book that you could ever read. And the values were just kind of in, in, inculcated, I think that's the right word, into the into the culture. We don't live in that age anymore. These are the days when the United States has no king and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Now we don't, you know, in the United States, we don't like kings. But we were supposed to be one nation under God. In other words, the vision was to create a nation that truly would uh, live as if God was our king and a recognition of the fallenness of human beings and the frailty and the failings of human rulers and kings. And so all the checks and balances and all of that, it was really an ingenious thing that the founders of the country did. But back then, you didn't have the United States of America. You had judges rule, and one judge after another failing. And so you get to the story of Samuel, and, and the, the, um, the people are looking at uh, you know the last judge, and they're going, you're you're a pretty decent guy, but we're looking at your kids, and those those children of yours are horrible, and we're worried. We're worried that if your kids become the judges, then we're in serious trouble. So they ask for a king like the other nations have. That's the line. Pay attention when you see that. And this becomes very troubling to uh, the judge because he, he goes to the Lord and he says, you're not going to believe what they're asking for. They're, they're rejecting you as their king because of the anarchy and they want a king like the other nations have. They're looking around at Moab and Edom and Egypt and, and they're thinking, boy, their kings are really doing a lot for them. You know, they've got these armies. They're protecting them. They're, they've got good welfare uh, benefits. You know, all the good things that come with kings. And, and government... And they're thinking, this will solve our problem is to have a king like the other nations have. They were coveting what the other nations have. And, and it's, it's a fascinating story because the Lord says to uh, Samuel, He says, give them what they want. You just need to warn them. They're not rejecting your leadership. They're rejecting mine. Let them know that I'm going to give them a king like other nations but here's the deal. That king's going to take all their money. <laughs> and taxes. And that king is also going to take uh, their, their children to be his soldiers. And his daughter, your daughters as servants in the household. And you're going to find that that king 
is not going to be all that. But that's what they want. Let's give them a king. So the first king is a king like other nations. That's Saul. You go and you read the story of Saul, you'll read the story of the king like other nations, who, you know, he's like right out of central casting for kings. He's tall and handsome. You know, kings look like that. Just like a king. And so, uh, you know, Saul, while he looks good on the outside, doesn't have the internal character of a king. Starts out great, but then the story of Saul is really quite tragic as um, his spiritual maturity is outpaced by his giftedness, which so happens, uh, it happens with a lot of uh, people in, in leadership where they're very charismatic, they're gifted, they're, you know, you, you, you hear the way they speak or the way they look and you're like, wow, that's a great spiritual giant or, you know, we do this with clergy a lot actually. Wow, that's, he just looks like he'd be a good priest. But then you find out they don't have the spiritual depth and maturity to deal with the challenges of life and the uncertainties of the ministry or the uncertainties of governance and politics. They don't have the skill level. They, don't, they haven't been tested in their leadership. And as the tests and the trials of leadership come, all of a sudden the moral failings begin to happen and the, and the character failings begin to happen. This is what happens with Saul. There's a line in the... In the text that says, oh, how the mighty fall. So, um, you know, the great story of contrast is, is the story of David and Goliath, which is a wonderful children's story, but it's really a story about the kind of leadership that God's looking for versus the kind of leadership that Saul represented. Um, Saul's in his tent, you know, the way they, back then, the the army, the enemies of Israel were the Philistines and the armies would come and they'd meet and, and as a way of kind of preserving life, what they would do is send out their champion. Let the champions fight it out and whoever wins that wins the battle and then everybody can go home and nobody has to, you know, get all bloodied up. It was a great system. So the Philistines send out their champion and it's a huge guy. Goliath, the giant. And, you know, the Israelites are going, well, who's our champion? Saul? Get out there. He's in his tent quaking in fear. He's not going to go out there and die for his people. Something foreshadowing of a better king who would die for his people. Saul's not going to do that. So he, uh, you know, there's a little kid. He's a shepherd boy, King David, future King David who has had an experience that makes him more spiritually mature than this supposedly grown man, this king. He had been out shepherding in the fields and God had provided for him again and again and again, facing insurmountable challenges and obstacles like you know, bears attacking the flock or lions and and David's thinking to himself, you know, God's, God was with me in all of these occasions. And yet, um, I can do this. 
goes out with confidence. So the last thing I want to just draw your attention to, because I have to run, I'm conscious of time, is um, when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, pay attention to the, to the adoption of the king of Israel in the line where it talks about David is going to have a son, and he will be called the Son of God. That is the moment of the Davidic covenant. He will be my son, and he will have an everlasting kingdom, and he will build me a temple. Now that will reach an earthly moment with Solomon, but Solomon's failings will be a false start for that fulfillment of promise. It will ultimately, as you can imagine, will come in the person of Jesus, who will be the temple builder, the Son of God, the one who has an everlasting kingdom. So let me stop there. Go get vested for the 11 o'clock service. Really glad you're uh, doing this and hope that's helpful for next week.